Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstroh. Tom, what is your favorite weird protein? Oh, my favorite weird protein. Um... I'm a big fan of like beef tongue. I love tongue. Yes. 
That's the tongue is the correct answer to this question. This is not a subjective question. That is an objectively <laughs> correct answer. Beef tongue is delicious. It is delicious, and I and I feel like if you if you didn't have to see the actual text, like the actual uh, tongue, like taste buds on it, the contours of the tongue, I think people would be like, "This is the greatest." Now, if you were to go to like a Macau market, like our contestants this week, and and you would see the tongue in the market, you would be completely grossed out. First of all, like the beef tongue is just much larger than you imagine, like a dog's (laughs) tongue, and it's not. It's just enormous. I mean, it is. It is. It is. It's 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 a very large item. It is Gene Simmons of the animal. Oh, uh, I mean, it's it's the size of of a small vehicle, but um. So, Todd, we're, we're in Macau. I mean, you and I are not in Macau. I'm in, I'm in uh, Atlanta and you're in Charlotte. Uh, but our contestants are in Macau. This is the finals. A little odd, five-person sort of remote finals. Usually it's four, I think, when they get back to the, uh, to, to the, to the destination. Am I correct? Or, or yeah. has that changed? Yeah, yeah. I was, um, I was a little surprised at that too. Um, but uh, I guess with this, with Kentucky, they, they, they didn't have that many. Uh, things to do or maybe the last one backed out I have no idea but they uh they got to Macau and I'm excited for it because um I have never been to Macau and it's always been my dream to go to like one of those Asian markets just open air uh like I feel like Tokyo has this and I'm dying to go there where it's just tons of crazy food as Kelsey once said um it feels like they were walking in a crazy movie Uh, it is Macau's lovely it is uh, it is a ferry ride from uh, Hong Kong, and uh, I have been. It, it is sort of fascinating. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a. I think it culturally it, it's very much a Chinese place, but but as mentioned, it is administered by the Portuguese. So you have this sort of Portuguese flavor. I went to actually Portuguese restaurant when I was there, and uh, it's it's fun, man. Those markets are really fun, and you can see. Um, I mean, there's just it is just one. St- one new thing after another, and uh, that was the, that was the quick fire. Are you someone who will uh, get down and dirty with those markets and try everything, or are you like? Oh, oh! I mean, this is I, I've gotten poisoned in by Thailand, uh, like kind of eating intestines off the street, um, <laughs> you know, like trying to challenge and kind of be hardcore and, and improve my my worth to to the locals. I've I've gotten, but it, it's it's the best. But, I mean, really, it gets to a point where going to a market. In a, in a far-flung place is my single favorite travel activity, no matter where you are. Like we were talking with, um, you know, you heard you heard uh, er, you know Eric talking about the, uh, the the markets in in Ghana, and it was totally like like the Kumasi market in Ghana is the best. That Macau market, um, it, all over China, anywhere in the world. I mean, it's kind of well. The great thing about those markets is it, it's the one constant in a world where like there there's tribalism and there. Uh, yeah, places are very different, and and they're they're sort of uh, the, the Tower of Babel effect. The one constant across every culture, no matter where you are in the world, is you can find a market. If you can just find a market, and they are all fundamentally the same, and that's kind of the beautiful thing about markets. It is the, it's the great comparative study: culture over culture, city, rural, developed world developing world markets are amazing yeah, it's kind of like these. food is the common language that brings yeah. us all together it's great so that's what they did right quick fires uh actually pre-quick fires go with with graham elliott to the market buy a bunch of you know unusual seafood proteins everything from kind of the jumbo large scallops which are nothing like the base scallops most of us eat most of the time 
to uh, those little sea squids, and you had some razor clams that were wiggling all over the place. And when they got back, and, and the eel that was just killed right in front of everybody, and then they were to come back, there was a draft, essentially a draft for the protein, right, with, with, with Michelle. No, it wasn't Michelle going first. Was it Michelle? Someone drew first. Actually, it might have been Sarah went first with the scallops. And then they had to go back to the market and be inspired by what they saw to kind of fill out their dish, find the ingredients, and come back and cook. You know, I thought this was a coming out episode for Graham, Graham Elliott, because I I don't know if he had like a, a distinctive personality on this show where I felt like he gave some perspective that uh, the other chefs didn't or he had a certain, I don't know, uh, a signature mark and I felt like this episode it kind of all made sense him being in Macau where he has a restaurant um and walking through the market I just felt like he owned this episode and I felt I felt like yeah okay now it makes sense yeah no I mean you know again more than just big guy funny glasses no actually it you know turns out he has a place in Macau he has a really fun insights on sort of um on on sort of how to work with these proteins and sort of the way you know the local cuisine surfaces in the dishes so yeah it was good yeah getting out of the shadow of oh too bad you know gail simmons isn't here right like like <laughs> here's your constellation prize big right. congenial man funny glasses no far more than that more substance he more knew expertise. his stuff he knew his Knows stuff his and stuff. it's not that i didn't i didn't uh i didn't think he had the credentials but it really came through on this episode when he was talking about the different proteins and the different veggies um, and it really showed through and and made me feel like, oh, this is going to be so much cooler because now we have someone who uh, has a, a lot of experience here in this uh, Asian uh, epicenter of culture and of um, of, I guess, extravagance. I mean, I've never been to Macau, but you've described it to me as as. I don't know. Is it a Las Vegas of? Yeah, it is a little bit of that. Like, like it is the place where, you know, where you go to gamble. So it definitely has that. I mean, as, an, as those are sort of the anchor stores, if you will, from yep. from at least a you know tourist standpoint. But um, you know, it, it has this old kind of you know Portuguese colonial feel, and um, but it's uh, it's cool. I mean, it's just a really a cool amalgamation of tastes. I mean, Hong Kong and, and Macau are just I mean, it's just such a great trip. Uh, I mean, I, I think Macau is fundamentally you know a, a day trip, but uh, Sarah went first, Tom. And Sarah chose, you know, she thought she was getting regular scallops that we all work with, those little soft, lovely little pillowy things. And then she opens up those big ass shells, and it turns <laughs> out, no, sea scallops, entirely different ball game. Really hard, really hard. Um, and, and so that, that was funny. Uh, Kelsey, again, just kind of beautifully chose, she chose the gum fish, which are those funky fish that are sort of without scales. But at the end of the day, it's like the perfect fish fry item, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, Again, we'll talk more about Kelsey. It was just a huge week for her. But I, I just think – and we have talked about it all season and, and, and we're going to be joined by Kelsey. But, but just somebody who I think just so from a very intuitive standpoint understands the game, understands the competition, understands what you're cooking on a giving week, why you're cooking it, what they're going to expect from you. And she just continues to just refine that instinct in this show. Had a great week. Michelle, and I'm telling you, Tom – Michelle, you had her on the bottom of your power rankings. This is a serious chef and who has serious skills and just a real range of skills. And, and I'm telling you, she is going to be reckoned with in the next four weeks. You, you, it, is, it is not going to be easy to overcome Michelle Minori. She is, she is the sleeping giant. She's always been one of the best chefs in this competition. 
She just runs into some, you know, she gets thrown off by the sand traps that the show presents. But let me tell you, she's actually better suited for the late rounds than the early rounds. She is going places. How did you, what did you think of her dish? Her oh, winning I mean, quick fire dish. I mean the the cuttlefish noodles. Um, and I haven't been to the restaurant that she got the idea from in San Francisco. Um, but it brilliant idea. Um, way to way to just like make make this um, make the protein kind of like a pasta, which is her thing. Um, yeah. Which she she it was a it was a very creative dish and something where she not only not only did the best with it, but it felt like she came out with the instinct from the beginning. So it wasn't like, oh, trial and error. I don't know if this is right. I don't know if I should do this. Oh, I'll try that as a last-ditch option. She, she um, cre- you know, c- conceptualized this dish from start to finish and really executed. Yeah, so um, the, the sort of the squid or cuttlefish as um, pasta. So I had, we had that over the summer uh, at a Matsuhisa. They did kind of a squid pasta. Um, it wasn't great. It's harder to execute than you realize, but it is – Right. These things are kind of curly, and when you cut them into strips, they look exactly like noodles. So why not just kind of do it? Just beautiful. You know, the fermented black bean um, is, is one of those lovely Chinese flavors. Uh, she, she throws in lotus root. She just kind of – she just got it. Okay. So then we have, uh, you know, Sarah's tough scallops and also Eric. You sense that the, the, the poor losers on the quick fire who essentially were – Sarah and Eric, there wasn't an official bottom, but I think you and I identified them as the bottom is, you know, at, at the end of the day, it was really, they, 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 they got bad luck with their protein, right? The sea scallops were tough and, and Eric's little sea snails were very tough. Um, Padma seems to think he overcooked them. It might've just been the, the nature of, yeah. of the little beasts. I mean, when the description is, it's, uh, it's a cross between chewy and rubbery. That's not good. <laughs> you know when you, when you get the the judge's table response when it's chewy and rubbery i'm like i was like oh no eric's done that's it by the way tough week for eric tough week for our, our you know our favorite is um you know he 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 didn't perform great on the quick fire kind of got some bad luck there and then uh we'll talk a little bit more about his his elimination dish which got him basically just a whisker away from being sent home. And then Adrian got the razor clams, which I was shocked that went last. Razor clams are just yummy. Mm-hmm. They're just soft. They're, they're, uh, they look strange. I see them wiggling around in the market. That was kind of crazy. Yeah. But she does a, a great, you know, uh, you know the, the razor clam and watermelon ceviche with the lotus root chips. Who, who doesn't love that dish? That's great. But um, Michelle, Michelle takes it. And Kelsey gets uh, accolades for her dish. Adrian gets, ah, you can't, you know, I don't know if it was a backhanded compliment, but it was a compliment, which was you can't go wrong with uh, razor clam ceviche. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think there a is high a certain ceiling, topic. Uh, oh, sorry, a high yeah. floor move by, by Adrian, which is what she's been doing all, all Who's season. Who's been doing high floor moves all season, right, Tom? Yes, yes. Uh, is, there is a little, uh, there is a little sense that when you go crudo and, and and ceviche this late in the game on a challenge like that in a, in a remote location with all those flavors coming at you at the market that it's a little bit cheap i think that was the suggestion but nevertheless look like a good looking dish you know i kind of i don't know if you got this 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 um the little tell earlier or, or it kind of seemed like foreboding when she said i came on to top chef like this was in the first half of the show she's the little vignette of like i came on to sh- top chef to kind of 
uh, learn more about myself and just figure myself out as a chef and just really, uh, you know, would, would love to go back to, to Connecticut and, and live on the farm. And I was like, wait a minute. Is it the whole point of Top Chef is to win Top Chef? And I was kind of like, wait, is this a tell that she might be going off this this episode? And I kind of that was lurking in my head for for the rest of the episode was when she said why I was going on Top Chef was because I just wanted to learn about myself. And yes, that's part of it. But the fact that she didn't say I came on here and I wanted to win, uh, that was kind of a, a red flag for me. And and I don't know if the editors did that on purpose, but I was like, uh oh, is Adrian going home? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and we're going to get to to, to Adrian's. Um yeah, the, the sort of elimination. It was so elimination was Chinese New Year. There was a little twist to the, uh, a little twist to the to the to the uh, sort of a preamble twist, which was that you get to choose your sous chef. So the five uh, five former contestants who had been eliminated marched out with with a series, each carrying a tray of ingredients that corresponded to one of the sort of the the, the Chinese New Year. I don't know the principles, you know. Uh, you know, one was longevity, one was happiness, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, Michelle got to go first, choose. And you got the sense, am I correct, that they didn't really care about it. There was a, there was a general trust of all five people carrying those. And it, people, uh, the, the trays were not chosen because of those who were holding them so much as what was in them. Is that your sense too? Yeah, and I feel like Adrian was the same way when she, she kind of said, you know, I, I think Padma asked her like, oh uh, – was it was because of Brian or was it because of uh, the food? And she was just like, ah, because of the food. Um, right. You know, I want to be the one cooking with ginger in a, in a Chinese New Year. Yeah. Dish, right? Yeah. And I think you you nailed it on the head, Kevin, is like when I'm presented with the, the ingredients or the chef, uh, I think I'm picking ingredients, right? Yeah. And all five of those people are capable, right? There's not like some – there's not a – there wasn't a better noir in the, in, the, in, the, in the collection this year. So so they're OK. Michelle chose David. Now, she did mention that David is of Portuguese descent and might have a advantage in a Macau. I don't think it really ended up mattering whatsoever. Uh, but she wanted the noodles, peanuts, and pe- – peanuts. <laughs> noodles, peanuts, and peaches. Uh, I, I have a couple notes here. One is you know, I have sort of a little crush on Eddie. You know, and his and his I, I find intense, serious people to be attractive. And he did not look good in shorts, Tom. Did not look good in shorts. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did he look better than Brian in shorts? Who like I, no, I think apparently no, he didn't look better than Brian in shorts. Like like I you know, Eddie, you know, you got you got you know, he's kinda of tatted up, he's got you know, this this brooding intensity. And he didn't look good in shorts. No. And I, it kind of – I don't know. It's sort of been haunting me since I watched it. <laughs> well, Kevin, I think last time when we did, when we discussed the apparel of Brian on the boat where he was wearing uh, shorts for the first time, uh, I kind of got the sense that you were like, you know what? Most dudes shouldn't be wearing shorts. No, 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 no. I mean look. I, I, I choose not to. I, I think – all right. So there are a couple issues here. I, I think one is Eddie, like me, is a short man. I think short men have to be careful about shorts because you end up kind of looking like a little boy sometimes. And, you know, if you don't like, like shorts are good with long legs. If you have nice long legs, shorts can be attractive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it kind of works when you have short legs, you, you run into a little bit of a problem. So uh, but but uh, yeah, Eddie, man, I, I just I wish he hadn't been wearing those shorts. He, he actually hilariously was carrying the happiness. Yes, tray, which Sarah drafted with her uh, with her selection. Now, Kevin, I got to ask you. Michelle mm-hmm. had the not only the pick for what she was um, 
you know, first pick on the, the, the ingredient, but she also gets to, we got to a little see what her power rankings looked like, didn't, didn't we? Uh, do we know that Michelle chose Adrian out of fealty or friendship? Um, yeah, I don't know. Or do you think it's like this person's the least threat to me? I kind of felt like at this stage in the game, it's more about uh, your ability to win the championship. You're so close here that I kind of think you have to put your friendships aside or your fealties aside and actually just go with who you think will give you the best chance of, uh, of winning this thing. So if, if under the premise that that is the ranking that she had was basically I want to I want to I want to uh, give the short end of the stick to the 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 favorite here she thinks that the top five goes or top four goes eric kelsey sarah then adrian if we believe the premise i mean that would have been mine i mean is that i mean that would have been mine yeah yeah i mean mean, sarah's had a good had had a good had a good february but kelsey as we know is just extremely tough right and but look i i think the advantage was all all the ingredients there, there was not you know, it wasn't like one person got salt and everybody else was screwed, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, these are professional chefs. Uh, the o- the overriding challenge is for China, prepare a Chinese New Year meal. Uh, 200 people are going to show up at a festivity. Pig is supposed to be the highlighted ingredients because this is the year of the pig. Now, there was one very interesting wrinkle. Uh, both Kelsey and Adrian had planned on doing pork belly. And... Uh, at night, when when Kelsey learned that Adrian was also planning on doing pork belly, she decided to change course. I found this very interesting, Tom, because I mean, you know, it, I, I never know if it's a good strategic move or, or it just demonstrates a lack of confidence. Because like, if I'm Kelsey, isn't the answer Adrian's doing pork belly? Screw it, we're going to kick her ass. Yes, but she's concerned that Brian, as being the sous chef to Adrian and being a, a, a pork master and a butcher and really good at this stuff. And she has her theory, which is, is whenever two chefs do the same thing, you know, for an elimination challenge, one of them goes home. So she just changes course and decides she's going to braise her pork belly, kind of chop it up into the dish. But, but I thought that was a very interesting play by Kelsey. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I guess she was believing more in the, um, you know, Brian as being the butcher, uh, she kind of, it was, it was a couple things like you said. And, and Brian, to be honest, shout out to Brian, by the way, help me out with a dinner reservation on uh, Friday night at, at, uh, in Boston. Um, Ooh, he wasn't where, in where, where, tell us, tell us, I tell went us. to bar Mazana, um, in Boston and it was, it was delicious. Uh, he hooked me up with a table there and I had the razor clams for the first time in my life. I had razor clams and I had, I had not seen the episode yet. So someone nudged me that night and said, razor clams. And you said, you have a, uh, you, you watch top chef, top chef and you, and you have a top chef podcast. I was like, yeah. She, and the person was like, well, you'll understand why razor clams are an interesting choice after you watch the episode. So I, uh, I sat there. I had this amazing razor clam ceviche with mint and chili, and then I had uh, a pappardelle with uh, with a short rib and the goat cheese and horseradish. It was just oh, it was a heavy, amazing meal. And um, shouts to uh, Chef Brian for for Barmazan. It was a really good meal on, in Boston. Ah, nice. We like but, the meal reports. So, so the, so the, um, you know, Brian hadn't been doing great with the proteins in this show. Like he is the butcher, but remember the pork, the porchetta was not was not superior, uh, and it was what I think got sent him home was that he didn't do that one. It was a little overcooked or wasn't uh, prepared correctly. So, you know, I think 
Kelsey was smart in the sense of, hey, uh, you know, that's the that's the meat guy. Uh, I don't want to go ahead with him. But I also think that she could have had more confidence in that. I think you're right. That was a tricky, tricky move by her. Yeah, just just interesting. I'm always curious when uh, you know major decisions are made based on competitive considerations rather than just cook your food, cook your food, just go cook your food. Um, tough week for Eric, yes. and and it was interesting because Justin is his sous chef, and and Eric decided he was going to do a curry. Now, curry is one of those things where it is universal, and everything Eric said at the judges' table is correct. Like like curry is. It spans so many different cultures. I mean, you know, from from Africa to Asia, different, you know, from South Asia, you know, in the India, uh, you know, the Indian subcontinent down to Southeast Asia. Down, you know, it is it is truly but but it is fun. You know, there is no such spice as curry. Curry is just it is just an amalgamation of spice. And he was actually, you know, kind of right in his maybe wrong in his interpretation of what Padma was saying at the judge's table when she said, you know, I couldn't really make out the ingredients. I couldn't. And he said, hey, look, I mean, that that's what a great curry is. A great curry, you don't make out the ingredients because it's just this ineffable kind of mixture of spices and it's just been stewed together. But it can feel like, like curry is a, it's a, it's a, it's home, it's comfort food. But so there's always the fear that it can become a little muddled because it is just this amount. You know, so you throw everything and you just kind of stew it together. That if you're trying to demonstrate refinement um, in a competition like this, you create a hard way to demonstrate it. And you even had Justin at the beginning kind of warning Eric, saying, "Look, the problem with curry is it might overwhelm the ingredients, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not going to taste a lychee in a curry." Right. You're not going to taste the you know, the water chestnuts. I think that was one of the things he had. You know, it's going to get lost. Right. Like so it, it, it was a little bit of a red flag. And he went with this strong curry. Kind of his error reminded me a little bit of his garden um, yep. challenge where he finished on the bottom, which was he did this. What he did. He did like a curry a soup. Right. Like a cream or a curry soup where. Hey, everybody agrees it's delicious, but you don't really get the ingredient. You don't. You're not going to taste uh, like you know the way that, that everybody was very much impressed with the, the the pork and the other dishes, right? You're not really going to get that. Like, oh, the way you pickled that peach, Michelle, or or the uh, the, the, the the peanuts different ways. You don't get it because everything's just kind of subsumed. And because by all accounts, it was a tasty dish. It just – they all said it was tasty. It just lacked sort of contrast, I think was the word Padma said, where you could really taste, hey, this was delicately put together with considerations of ingredients. But it was a tough week for Eric, and it was a similar error to his other kind of bottom finish, which was the garden, which was everyone loved the soup. It just – you didn't really – there were no ve- – the vegetables didn't come forward. And here it was the same thing. Yeah, and also my mom definitely didn't make curry. Did your mom make curry? My mom did not make curry. Yeah. My mom made kugel but not curry. Yeah, my mom made uh, beef stroganoff and pasta. That's it. That's it. That was that was her repertoire. She had three boys and, and a girl to cook for every night who, who were all playing sports. So it was it was mostly um, pasta with ragu in my household, but no curry and same no with curry. Tom Colicchio apparently. I you know Eric no had curry. the first time this entire competition he was in the bottom, and I think he would admit that uh, you know this. Uh, it wasn't his best dish. It wasn't. Um, and I know he felt agree to disagree about some certain things, but this was a, 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 mo- a moment for Eric that wasn't his biggest strength. And it's tough because coming into this episode, I would have said he was the head and shoulders favorite. And now um, after a, a bottom two finish, 
this is or bottom three finish. This is um, not a, not a great great showing for him in Macau. No, his, his worst week of the of the tournament. Uh, I want to go to Michelle, and again, I I, I just I, I think this is a sleeping giant. I felt it from the beginning. I think she's one of the top top cooks in the, in in the, in the pro show, and I think you know. She just says instead of doing a, a pumpkin dumpling or pumpkin, a pork dumpling, she's going to you know, do it as a wrap. And she makes this delicious filling that Tom is clearly – so you can see his face when he was talking about it. Um, uh, she sort of said, look, I mean I'm kind of almost going to imagine a filling for a pasta, right? Like kind of treat the, the, the sort of Macau-based pork products as Italian sausages and salamis and meats and cured meats and sort of make that the filling – for the lettuce wrap, she she serves it with a cold noodle salad. Again, contrast, contrast, contrast. Peanuts, a pickled peach. I mean, really, but it was the pork stuffing, the filling that really just impressed everybody. Um, and and she was, uh, you know, she was she was the number two finisher in, in the elimination after winning the quick fire. So you know, she and it was it was a week for Kelsey and it was a week for Michelle. And um, do we want to do Kelsey? You want to go quickly go through uh, you know, go through our other competitors and um, yeah, let's. I I just want to keep talking, so we don't have yeah. to, we don't have. Well, to. we have uh, we have our guests, do we not? We we do, but um, in we can we can do that uh, in like five. Yeah, we get that later. Yeah, so let's do it later. So um, what about all right? Two things I want to talk about here, Kevin. One is which when someone hands you a, a bag of, of white stuff while you're on the road in Macau, what is that white stuff usually? That's very dangerous. It's um, a very dangerous move. Yeah, I mean, given that, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, but uh, here's, here's a bag of white stuff. Uh, go, go, uh, go make a, a meal with it. It was it was a, a very risky move from. From Kelsey, but it turned out it was cornstarch. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the flour cornstarch debate in sort of the, the deep fried world is a is a good one. So when I fry chicken, I actually use flour with a little bit of cornstarch. Um, yes. But the cornstarch is, as she said, it's sort of a you know it's kind of this beautiful. You talk about food being connective tissue. I mean, whether you're in the southern United States or you're in East <laughs> Asia, like cornstarch is where you get to deep fried whatever. Um, yes. Yeah, what, what a week! What a week for Kelsey! What a week for Kelsey! Yeah, she did um, great. And I want to say, um, I think you asked this question last week, Kevin, and I did the research. Is this the first time in Top Chef that the final five only one guy in the final five? And the answer Yeah, it was is, Mina Kimes, I think, asked that question. I think, I think the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is this is the only time in the 16 seasons of Top Chef that we have seen four women and one man in the final five. It Going through the list... Last season, there was three men, two, four, three, three, two, 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 three, four, four, two, three, four, three. So there have been four times that we saw. That was like, you ever go to the dentist and when they start measuring your gums and they just start calling them out to the person standing there who who writes it down? Kevin, I went to the dentist this morning. Did they do the four, three, four, three, three, two, three? Yeah, it was it was terrible because you're she's like, oh, uh, 31's got a DSOM and then uh, what is a DSOM? I have no idea. And so I'm asking him and she's like, uh, seven, ooh, seven's Ooh, got you had an a seven. M- you're not supposed to have a seven. See, I go three. I go three times a year. So they, no, no, no. So I'm saying like when she's going tooth by tooth, I'm assuming that's what you're you're talking about is when you yeah. go to the dentist and they say a uh, tooth number seven. Uh, and then she like talks about it for a little bit and I come out. I'm thinking they're going to have to replace my whole mouth. And she's like, oh, no, you're good. 
So I had, I had, I, this was the first time we switched insurances with my new job, um, at NBC. And so I went to the dentist for the first time. And so I think they were doing the whole, like, this is Tom's baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Baseline. So she was just going tooth by tooth. Um, so hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Kelsey, she decides to praise and chop up that pork instead of doing it Adrian style. She said something to the camera that I, in my opinion, kind of encapsulated her. Again, we're talking about her high IQ as a player. She says, I'm embracing where I am and combining it with what I know. And she just like that was the challenge, right? Like that is the challenge. You're in Macau. They want to see expressions of your own sensibility as a chef, but they want you to pay homage to the place you're in. And and she just she has an innate knowledge. Again, whether you're on a houseboat, party houseboat, wherever it is, Kelsey has a very what we would call in basketball a high IQ player. Mm-hmm. And she boils down these black eyed peas and then take, kind of takes the reduction or the um, you know, it, that fluid along with the collard greens and creates like this mushroom broth with like a thousand ingredients. She does the Portuguese sausage, which is such a, you know, such a staple there and creates this this kind of gorgeous dish, which is fresh because it's got more veggies than everybody's doing. So, you know, you kind of compare it to Eric, who, you know, clearly made a tasty dish, but just sort of the subtleties, nuances, just like how, you know, each item was defined. It, It feels Southern, but it also feels fundamentally Macau. And it's just she she is and she wins. She wins going away. And and it's she just has a just an intuitive understanding of the competition. Uh, Sarah does. She wants to do kind of a shrimp and grits, but does cauliflower grits with a pork shank. Mm. 
which uh, she cooked in fermented uh, black bean and, and chili paste. I, I love that fermented black bean and chili paste combo you get out there. What's that condiment that actually the other Adrian from last season used in one of her winning dishes down the stretch? I forget what that that great. It comes in that that mama. It's like a the Chinese grandma on the on the on the jar. I forget what it's called, but it's like a fermented black bean and chili paste. One of our listeners I, will. I don't will know. Read it. I don't know, but man, uh, I want to go to the market as soon as I watch this episode. Yeah. I was like, I need to go find a market with this fermented. Black yeah, it's got some Asian markets in Charlotte, and then she just you know she nailed the flavors, but it just kind of tastes as as Padma said, eight salt, even though it was rich, and the, and the cauliflower grits just didn't do the full job. She even quipped on the on the on the chopping block. She said, you know, it could use about. You know, four pounds of butter or whatever she said. And um, did she not have butter? Like, do you think she didn't have it or like? Yeah, you know, there's not a lot of. I mean, it's interesting. You just uh, it, there's not a lot of butter. It's oil <laughs> in Chinese yeah. cooking. You know, you don't use a lot of butter, not a lot of dairy. And then uh, finally, you know, Adrian went home. It was really down to Adrian and Eric, and I was very concerned for Eric. And Adrian decided to do kind of a deconstructed fried rice dish, right? So she does a little rice cake. Does the pork belly on top of it with some, you know, chili aioli, and and they just kind of, I think they seem again. Everyone said it was, you know, tasted fine. It tasted quite good actually, but there just wasn't depth, or or it just didn't. It wasn't that substance and hardiness that you want from a from a, from a from a New Year's dish. It just felt a little slight. Um, but that was it. I mean, you. Could, I mean, one wonders. It is what it didn't. It didn't. I don't know if you thought about it, but it did prompt one of those questions. Do you think there are times where the judges, when it's a close call? will eliminate the chef that didn't put together the best body work over the season again versus the other chef. In other words, do you think Eric's full body of work for the season saved him? Yeah, but I also felt that um, Kelsey's dish – not Kelsey, sorry. Um, Adrian's dish was – I don't want to say use the word basic, but it felt like it wasn't as inventive as it could have been. You know, she took a deconstructed pork fried rice, of course, but – as they said, it kind of felt like the the flavors didn't really blend together, and it didn't work right. together. They were good on their own. It was a piece of own. braised pork, a rice cake, and a squirt of this sort of chili aioli, right? Like, right. like it wasn't a, it, it wasn't fully. It was deconstructed, but not fully reconstituted. And it's kind it, of if yeah. you're going to do a tiny bite, you have to really nail it out of the park because I think they they com- they commented on this too. Is just the portions were small, and so you kind of were left with a bite, whereas everyone else had like these big bold dishes uh with lots of technique um you know i do think that in this case they might say they don't eliminate people based on you know their body of work i don't think it it, it dominates the conversation or the rubric in their heads but i got to imagine they're not sending home eric on this curry dish when you know adrian if there's a tie i think adrian's body of work coming in here uh with no wins you know she the the story on Adrian was that she had a high floor this entire season, and I think her, yes. her two dishes here uh, in Macau kind of speak to that. That it just didn't seem like she was uh, on the same level, the same peaks, the highs that Kelsey right. or Eddie or Eric uh, and Sarah hit. At, at, right. At her, her. In other words, she is a very good chef. It's just that her. Her best dish, her best, best work is not going to be as good as the other's best, best, best work. I mean, there's been like when Michelle has come out with her great dishes, there's the magic. Obviously, Eric, her great dishes, there's magic. Kelsey, same thing. Sarah has had just some transcendent moments where you know, they said it was the, you know, the perfect dish. And you have people in tears at the table, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it, and that, that was sort of the knock on Adrian is she's just been a really capable chef and um, consistent but is there just that magic? Can she just, you know, put together a transcendent performance? No, 
she puts together really good performances and they're, you know, uh, I'm excited to talk to Kelsey. Tom, yeah. this is exciting. Yeah. Good um, get, good get, as we say in the media business. Kelsey. Hi. Yes. All right. Uh, hey, Kelsey, it's Tom. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Kevin's on the Thank line you. as well. Hey there. Thank you right. so much for making the time. Oh my god! Thank y'all. I'm excited. Is this like an all Southern broadcast? We're calling from it. We're talking from Atlanta, Charlotte, and where are you? Me, I'm in Dothan. Yep. Nice. We're relatively yeah, close so by. It's the best Atlanta. day of y'all's lives, right? Yeah. Um, this is so exciting. Uh, I, you know, it's funny, Kelsey. I, I um, we have a term, and Tom and I are basketball writers, and, and the sort of like the high IQ right. player is like the player on the floor where it has nothing to do with what play is being called, but just kind of can appraise the situation that the, the, the sort of what's at stake at the game at that moment, like where are the weaknesses and strengths on the floor and just kind of know intuitively what to do. One of the things I've been talking about you all season is like, as a, I mean, obviously like an incredible chef, but like you have a real gift in the show for kind of knowing what the challenge is, what it demands. So sort of, not just, Oh, you want to make good food, but kind of know what the, sh- judges are looking for, whether it's sort of seeing that a party boat is a party boat and it demands things above and beyond just like, you know, the food or, or even you, you have this beautiful line in this, in the most recent episode where you, you kind of looked at the camera and said, look, you know, I'm embracing where I am in Macau and then combining it with what I know. And it was like, oh my God, in nine words, you just kind of defined exactly what the challenge was. And I just think that like watching you, it's sort of as a connoisseur of the show, you've, you've done like your hot, your game IQ is just so on. It is just so tops. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I definitely, I think that I, I've thought about it a lot. And I think that one of the reasons I was good at the game is because that's, you know, actually Sarah, Bradley said this to me one time. My job's just really crazy because I have I do catering for a living, and that's how I started out. So, you know, dealing with brides can be like a challenge every single week because they all want different things, and you have to figure out how to please them and also make it work, you know, to win for your business kind of a thing. So you're doing elimination challenges essentially every, yeah. every Saturday. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like this. So catering know. is sort of a really because it's so client focused. You, you sort of well, I mean, you have to play that game. One hundred percent. And like my nickname has been forever, like MacGyver, because you just have to be able to like pull things out of your ass and make it work. And just I mean, ninety percent of the time we're standing on a beach or in the middle of a field with no power, and so things go wrong. If things ever go right, I'm like something a tornado is about to happen. Like there's no freaking way this is going this smoothly. Um, so, you know, it, it just, I think that that, I, I thought to myself going in, oh, you know, I haven't been in like the Michelin star kitchen for very long. And then some of my friends were like, yeah, but you have a catering business and you're used to chaos. I'm like, yeah, that's true. And I have a toddler. So I like this chaos. <laughs> that is amazing. But, so you um, think, you think if I looked into the numbers, like I think Kevin, we might have to do this research project is our caterers higher better than average in terms of their um their performance on top chef kevin we never really considered this in at a because right now um kelsey you've got uh two wins um and you've been on the low three times been high twice 
And right now, Kevin, in our scoring system, which you have deemed flawed now because it is just now at week 14, Kevin, that you've, you've noticed that on the scoring sheet that we agreed on before the season that at the top there it says winner gets 50 points. But I digress, Kevin. I digress. To be continued on some other offline conversation. Yes, yes. but Kelsey, you're at 42 points and you're uh, just behind Eric at 53 points. I got to believe you're feeling confident at this point, but did but did you see yourself getting to Macau with your old friend Sarah? Did you did you see this happening when you guys found out you guys were on the show together and you guys knew each other from back in New York, I think it was? Yes. Did you were you guys all right. You know what? Uh Sarah's going to be a beast in this competition. I'm going to see her at, in the finale. You know, yes, honestly because I think one of the most important things going into any kind of competition or cooking competition, specifically top chef is like, you can't, I mean, we've seen it in every season and we certainly have seen it in last season. You can't be good at one thing. You have to be like, you might be the best at one thing, but that's not going to win you top chef. You've got to be like a little bit good at all the things. And so that's sort of, I know Sarah, I knew that she was that way because she's kind of jumped around. She's from the South. She's, um, she worked for David Posey and specifically did meat for a while. I know she's phenomenal at fish. So I knew that she had, like, done a lot of things. And she was also the sous chef when I was pastry. So I kind of saw everything that was in her wheelhouse. Because when you're a sous chef, um, you're basically just the doer a lot. So, you know, a lot of the time executive chefs, you just kind of are directing. But when you're sous chef, you're in the heat of it. You're doing people's jobs that call out. So... I got to see her in that element and I could, you know, in the time that I spent with her could tell she's really good at a lot of things. So she never, in my, I never thought she was going home in the beginning. That never even crossed my mind. Um, I love your description of the market in Macau. And, and one of my favorite things, I, I travel a lot. It's one of the, one of the privileges of being childless, I guess. I just get to kind of go off whenever I want. And markets around the world are just like my. I mean, it's truly. I, I it, the first thing I do when I get to a place is just you know, where is the market, and invariably there is one. Um, I mean, tell me about the walk the market in Macau because that that that's that's otherworldly. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, you know, it was crazy too. A part that I really don't think they highlighted amazingly was the fact that Graham was with us. Um, and Graham has, you know, he was. I guess his dad was in the military. Um, and so he moved around and hopped around like a ton as a child. So he's lived all over the place. Um, so he knows a lot about, like, they didn't even show his knowledge. It was kind of crazy. Cause well, he, they did. They, anything you know, we asked Kelsey, him, we, he Kelsey, to, to interrupt you here, I, I noticed this about Graham that he, on this episode, he was an MVP. I, I just thought he, oh, yeah. his, his detailed knowledge of the, the Macau market there, I felt like, oh, this Graham, not that I didn't believe in his credibility, but man, it just seemed like he knew he lived there his entire life. And that really did come through on our end uh, in this episode. You're a hundred percent. I mean, he just, and you know, we didn't really spend a lot of time with Graham up until this point. He was kind of like, you know, he would, he would be on some challenges, but not really. So we didn't even know he for sure would be at the finals or not. And so when he showed up to do what we knew was going to be our quick fire that day, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. It's not Padma or Tom. Um, and then we were all, I think every one of us left after he took us around. We were like, he is just awesome. He has no ego at all. Um, 
you know, if he doesn't know something, because we're asking him questions like, okay, what is this? What do you do with it? And if he didn't know, he would ask. And he had no shame and said, oh, I have no idea. Where you see a lot of people that are in, you know, positions of power or whatever, they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, this is, and they just make something up and you can tell. And he totally was not that way. He just really wanted us to learn and, and was just a really good teacher and a good, I guess, travel director too. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, let's go back to restaurant wars real quick. You were on yeah. team, um, was it, it was with Nina and Nini, sorry, Nini, Justin and Dave, your third coast, right? Yes. Okay. So that was a bit of a madhouse. We talked to Justin a little bit, uh, this season. Um, but what, what did we get wrong about what we saw on TV? What was that night like? Cause we were at, we were at the, uh, the other one, um, we were at, uh, Northeast. So we didn't right. get a chance to, uh, see you guys over there at third coast, but what did people watching at home didn't get to see about restaurant wars that night? Uh, pretty much any of it. <laughs> um, it was a just disaster. I mean, when we got there that day for, you know, for it to happen, I looked at my team and I was like, there is no way in hell that this is about to go well. Absolutely no way. And when we got there, our restaurant, our restaurant thing, just this gives you a heads up. You saw what our restaurant looked like. It was like blue with antique plates. Yep. Our theme all we all we portrayed to them was we want it to be like like Annabellum House meets modern. So we don't want <laughs> anything except for white, gold, brass accent, and we want greenery everywhere. No. And then we show up and it's like Blue Man Group, you know? <laughs> and, and and that was how it started out that day. And then it was just was like um we were third, which was a humongous disadvantage. And being yep. third, everyone was hours behind. And so I guess like what people don't see seeing it is what time it is in real life when this is all going down. I mean, we all start at the same time. We all have exhausting days, but whoever goes last is that much more exhausted because you've been waiting. Can remember that? Like I, I felt the same way was that uh, we – I thought that maybe they were going to get ruined in that show, Kevin, in that episode because of the fact we were waiting for so long. And, oh, man, the the, the Restaurant Wars group that waits the longest or has the longest wait, it always is the one to go home. And they actually just came out flying colors because the judges' table went there first. Right. No, I, I'm always wondering behind the scenes, like, what are the sort of unstated advantages and disadvantages? And you kind of just described that. Um yeah, and restaurant Nini, wars. And the Nini was, thing, was that overblown, Kelsey, or no? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> that she totally screwed up the front of house. She had no hope. I mean, that is a fact, if you ask my opinion. I, I didn't want to be, I mean, this is, it was just, I can promise you, I feel like if any of us had been put in that position, we would have been the one going home. Okay. Um, because it okay. just was, you know, I never wanted to be front of the house and I never wanted to be executive chef because of this exact reason, because exactly. you just don't know ever. Um, and you're like, yeah, okay. So I might win some cash if we win, but I don't freaking care. I care about next week. Um, mm. and, and I care about making it to the finale. You know, I want to win the whole thing, not just one challenge. So I was just, it worked out really well for me this team because Nini wanted to be front of the house. And then Justin and David were kind of arguing about who would be executive chef. 
And I was like, I got cooked. Y'all are good. <laughs> I'll take the line cook. Because um, you just don't know what, especially with restaurant wars, you're dealing with so many factors and you're dealing with people. And anytime you deal with the general public and people, it usually doesn't end well. I mean, ever. Yeah, the public are pro- people are just a pain in the ass. If we can <laughs> yeah, just kind of eliminate like the people from the whole food <laughs> experience, you can just cook and it's this beautiful creation and somebody will enjoy it. Yeah, people yeah, are just, exactly. I, I'm over people. Uh, maybe she's a function of well, age. Wait a yeah. We have Kelsey on the line who just crushed the next episode <laughs> at um, boat restaurant boat wars. I'm just being a misanthrope, Tom. Come on. <laughs> I, um, what's the favorite? All right, obviously, uh, setting aside anything you you that hasn't been broadcast yet, what's your favorite thing you cook in the season? I have my favorite Kelsey dish by appearance. I mean, one of the disadvantages I don't ever get to taste your food, but I have one of my favorite things. Well, what was the favorite thing you cooked? The most thing you're most proud of. Uh, not including the stuff that hasn't been broadcasted. I think, let me think. Weirdly, weirdly, this is the one thing that landed me in the bottom of it. The only time I was in the bottom of the challenge, which was Nashville. But I freaking love that dish. Literally Wait, which one? love that. The chicken pot pie. Oh, yeah. Um, the deconstructed. That was a gorgeous looking oh, plate. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was, I can like say it was one of, even I was actually next to Sarah the whole time prepping and she was like, fuck, you're going to win this. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and then I messed up. So it's fine. But, uh, wait, wait what yeah, did you mess so up? It was, I, I it was really too salty. That. They said there was just, what was the, Oh yeah. You want to, you want the spoiler of what I did on that dish? Yeah. Oh, come on. So the last yeah. touch, I had like 13 touches. I had it totally planned. Everything was going perfect. And my last touch were these shaved eggs. And I was in such a rush and I had to like shave them quickly and you do it on a microplane. So they're like tiny yeah. and I wasn't looking or paying attention. And then, you know, you just sprinkle it over the top. No big deal. I shaved them into my salt container that was almost empty. So when he said, why is there salt like a margarita rim on her plate? Because there was <laughs> I literally dumped salt on my dish. Oh no. And I was just, in, I mean, you always are in such a hurry. And I always made an extra plate for me to taste. But I tasted every component a million times. And I was like, I don't really want to eat this. So I'm try it one more time. And then I tried it, like, when I got back to the kitchen after judge's table. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> Went through every single thing. And then it was, like, the last thing I, I realized there was salt underneath it all. And I just was an idiot. And it was very heartbreaking. All right. I have to ask you about one of your dishes because I still think about it. Yeah. Just by sheer sight. Um, and I and I love presentation and, and, and aesthetics and stuff. The scallop ceviche and the canopy issue yeah. with the rhubarb cherry consomme, that corn puree. And it just looked like this little cherry blossom. It was the most lovely little thing. How – if I want to do that this summer in terms of the rhubarb cherry consomme, how do I how, – how did you do that? That, that beautiful little blow fluid. your mind how easy it is. Oh, my God. Right, tell me, mind. tell me, tell me. I'm, like, taking All notes right, and putting so it on you. You do, like, a double uh, – okay. Like, you would do a double boiler except for you put a mixing bowl on top of steaming water. And then okay. you add your ingredients in this mixing bowl, which for me I did primarily rhubarb and cherry. Um, and then – so I did, like, aromatics after that. So some onions, some fennel. You just do whatever you want. And, and so in the metal bowl that's that. resting on my boiler, on my boiling water, is it – that's not filled yes. with water itself. That's just the ingredients. No, it's just – so what happens is it's called a consomme because it's clear and it's perfect and it's beautiful. But right. It was just like the most beautiful bowl. little thing. It looked like Kool-Aid, but like right. the best – yes. It is like Kool-Aid, yeah. 
Um, and you let it steep for, I would say, like two hours. And so what happens is you're basically steaming these this concoction. Now, if and I have a steam oven, if I have a Bosch steam oven, can I do it in there? Probably. As long as, well, Ooh. you have to saran wrap it. So it might, okay. Yeah, I would, I would stick to the double boiler because you don't okay, want to we'll put stick to the double boiler. in it melt. Um, yeah, and so you just basically just steep it like you would tea is, is it really what you're doing. And it pulls out all of like the extracts of these fruits. And so then you're left with this really super concentrated liquid at the bottom. It's really cool. Oh, wow. And then that just, you do strain it? Or it doesn't even need to be strained. I strained it. I did. Okay. I wanted it to be like crystal clear. So I right. Leaves one like that perfect, and that little scallop mm-hmm. is just sitting in that perfect little pool of pink water. All right, this is great. Yeah. I, I mean, this you're you're awesome. Like I, I just I love <laughs> that kind of thing. Also, I just love scallop raw scallops in general, and it's I'm always looking for different oh, yeah. ways to do it other than my little dollop of yuzu pepper paste and you know a Meyer lemon. Like I'm looking for new ways to do my scallop ceviches, and I was like, I need to do the Kelsey. I just have to do that this <laughs> summer. When, when the summer, when the when the stone fruits come in, and I can get cherries and all that stuff. I mean, it would be delicious with pineapple too. I thought about not mm. for that challenge; it wouldn't have been. But pineapple would be a great one. Um, anything that's watermelon would be fantastic, and it's got so much liquid in it. So Kev, Kevin's going to ask you about that portion of the show. Yeah, yeah, huh? that's the, that's Kevin's cooking class, and that's that's very much Kevin. But what <laughs> I want to know is Kevin's give cooking class. Get, give me the deets on the houseboat party. What do you want to know? So, you did you do you think you won Kelsey because of your uh, your key lime crunch or because of the oysters? I think I won because of a lot of things. So they didn't. Sh- I actually. Um, I decorated the boat like they didn't. I thought for sure they'd show this whole scene and they didn't. But you know, before we got to Lake Cumberland, I had this whole game plan. I was like, y'all, when we stop the car on the way there, we have to get out and I've got to cut greenery. And Eric and Justin were like, this is freaking nuts. But you actually made and them pull like, over so you could cut, you could actually yeah. get some like. No. Well, when we had to like stop Kevin, for break, I was like, from a lab of Top Chef. Oh, you're so good at this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> And at first they were like, you're ridiculous. And then Sarah was like, freaking listen to her, y'all. And, um, <laughs> so we were like, they're helping me like cut this greenery. And then we get to the, like, there's like a little area before you get on the boat. And they had all this driftwood on the shore. And I was like, grab all that freaking driftwood. And Justin and Eric were like, you are freaking nuts. And I was like, we're going to win if you listen. Just do it, you know. And they were like, okay, fine. And so then. I decorated the whole boat. There was, like, greenery all over the tables, driftwood. I had, like, all this cut citrus because that was our whole kind of theme. Um, and they commented on that at the judges' table, how, like, it looked like we had set up for a wedding kind of a thing on the boat. Um, so I think I won because of throwing a party. Obviously, my food wasn't bad. I mean, clearly. But um, the challenge was not cook the most beautiful, tasty cocktail food. The, the challenge was throw a party which includes good food good drinks so i think that their biggest thing i'm sure in a judge's head they had like ticking points of like did they plan well did they post well did they party well did they have good food did they have good drinks so that's what makes a good party um and i think that that's why i won if we if kevin if we if we hang out in la one night and we don't want to go out and drink or anything we just want to have a nice nice little chill night at your house uh Kelsey, can you ship some key lime crunch over to us? Oh yeah, that, some, that was the puppy chow, right? Yeah. That see, that was another brilliant touch. See, you knew the game. Like that was 
like just the, the little takeaway bag. That was that was that was brilliant. Um, Everybody loves the party favor, you know. Everybody <laughs> loves party favor. Yet no one else thought of it. Like like that's the thing. It is just it's not just cooking food. It is like the the full on thing. I Meanwhile, I'm looking at the um, I'm looking at the KBC weekly menu. Is this week is uh, this week is fried green tomato BLT week at your um, for lunch? Yes. For lunch. Now you do lunch and so wait, you're cater, but this is a storefront. So I have a catering company that I started first, um, right. which was, how old am I? Six years ago. Um, and then I opened the restaurant four years ago, and they're totally different. So the catering company does, we travel, we do weddings primarily. Um, I mean, we do a lot of things, but weddings is kind of the big one. And yeah, so the, the restaurant, we serve lunch, brunch, and supper, and they're all different menus. Oh, here we go with the supper. So it's Wild Salmon Week with mushroom risotto and roasted carrots for those art listeners in the Dothan, Alabama area and Northern Florida. Yeah. It's worth the trip. Um, Thank you. That's great. No, okay, I got you. How, how did you get on Top Chef? Um, so actually my general manager was obsessed with Top Chef for, I mean, she's watched every season from the very beginning. <gasps> and two years ago, she was like, oh my gosh, we're doing an open casting call. You need to do it. And I was like, well, if you want to do it for me, knock yourself out. Um, and she did. So I actually got on last season, Denver, and then I found out I was pregnant. And, um, the you know, the girl who does – we all kind of had – me and Eric shared someone. We had the same person who kind of recruited us. And then she called me this year the second that she could and was like, all right, you ready? You're not pregnant, are you? I was like, no, I'm not pregnant. I don't think. <laughs> Wasn't that the so, same yeah. story as Eric? Like, didn't Eric? Eric Kevin, was pregnant. Uh, no, well, his, his, his he was wife getting married was. last okay. year. Oh, his he was being married. That's what it was. Yeah. So, so you and Eric gonna are going to be on on Top Chef Denver together. Yeah. Wow. So I know, isn't it weird. Did the Kentucky thing work in your favor? You think? I'm extremely glad that, that I was on this year rather than last year. Um, I, don't, I mean, sometimes it's harder if, like, that's the genre of food you're cooking in your in the area. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I would not want to do Top Chef Alabama. And I was, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's all this levels of pressure when you're the hometown person that I was never envious for Sarah of, not once. Even though she knew more sometimes going in, um, it doesn't matter. It really just, it's almost like you had this new weight on your shoulders and, I don't know. That's, that's just how I felt. I, I just felt that that would be more pressure on top of the pressure you already have. You should follow everyone listening. You should follow Kelsey at Kelsey Barnard uh, Clark on Instagram because you shared some amazing, um, you know, clips from your journal or at least your, I don't even know yeah. what you call it, your journal from, from top chef. And we kind of were blown away by um, chef brother luck and how, just the the conditions, the living conditions that you had, and so this journal is kind of everything. The only thing you really have it's like your best friend on this on this show when you're in captivity. So what what um what's in your journal from Top Chef, and how can people understand what it's like to be kind of as Kevin says it in like confinement for uh for that, you know weeks on end. Um, I think all of us had a totally different experience with. That means some people were like, oh, this is so great. I get to be no phone and I'm cut off. I mean, some people I think sort of enjoyed it. And then there were other people. I, mean, I, I would say specifically me, I probably had one of the hardest times because of my child situation. So yeah. 
you know, I mean, I'm not being like, oh, it was the worst for me. No, everyone had their challenges. Don't get me wrong. But um, I, my, like, the, the biggest issue I had was that I could not sleep because I was used to waking up with my baby to feed and to do all that stuff. So I would kept waking up on my normal schedule and then I would be in full blown panic mode. Cause I felt like I was like, had lost my arm or something. Cause I would wake up like ready to, you know, do what I needed to do usually at 2am. And then there was no baby. Everyone's asleep. And it was just for, for the first, I mean, really the whole time I felt like I was crazy and I couldn't sleep at all. So the journal was like one, my one, I mean, you almost like talk to yourself in the book. Like you have to like write down things to keep you focused. And, and again, luckily I was with a great group of people. Like, you know, I didn't have people that were like, Oh, you're a terrible person. Go away. I mean, and that was a great part is that a lot of the people that I came so close with and such good friends with were the ones that would like stay up with me and just hang out or like, oh, that's cool. I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning to make biscuits for everyone. Cause I was just, couldn't sleep and sometimes they would wake up with me and drink coffee so it really was I mean you're really competing against yourself and you just happen to be in a house with other people that are also doing the same thing that's really what it feels like were there moments where you're like you know what I can't do this anymore I gotta go home and see my kid yeah twice I vividly I was like uh I gotta go I, I can't do this anymore I mean I, it tw- twice it was like I had to literally like lock myself in the bathroom and tell myself not to call a producer. I can't go anywhere. I have to stay here. <laughs> and so you had a friend on the show who would talk you back into it or, or you, that you must've, I mean, that's the thing about top chef that I don't think people realize is that it, they're the camaraderie. People might say, Hey, it's an individual show. You're trying to win the whole thing. But I do think that helping each other out during these competitions, that actually uh, helps to your advantage because they pay it back. It's kind of like this, um, you know, if you need someone, they'll. If you if you're if you're a dick to everybody, uh, you, you, that's not going to bode well for you, right? Like, it's not just a, a superficial. Hey, I'm going to be nice to everybody because it's going to help me win this competition. But I do think that the whole family aspect of it uh, really helps just survive. No, I mean, and it, it's, you're so right. And the other thing too is like everyone is going to need help from someone at some point. And if you're the one that's a total jerk to everyone, don't look at me for help. You know what I mean? Like, we all were smart enough and mature enough to know that. I mean, if you look at seasons past, when has a total villain ever won? Never. Because no. at some point, he's going to need help from someone. And if you were the guy throwing everybody under the bus, good luck when you need help. Because then people are going to be like, see ya. I mean, every challenge, I mean, at least one person needed help plating. And one of us would stop our prep work when we literally had no time. It's not like we had time to do it. And if someone said, y'all, I'm, I'm drowning, I need help, one of us would stop. It, we would always figure out a way to help that person no matter what. There was never a moment where it was like, sorry, you're on your own. Man. Um, if you could, if you were made czar of Top Chef for season 17, 18, whatever it is, and you could enforce one rule change, what would it be? A rule change? Yeah, right. Whether it's a rule change for the, the parameters of the game, or for that matter, the way you guys were, were, you know, were asked to live, or actually, everybody was complaining about the local catering food. That was one thing that uh, I think Justin said that there was almost a there was almost an uprising from you guys. Justin eats like a thirteen year old boy. So that was like <laughs> his most important thing. I mean, look, the joke when we were moving out of the house in Kentucky, 
I mean, I'm obviously was the mom in every way, shape, and form. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to check everyone's bedrooms and make sure nobody forgot anything when we had to leave, <laughs> you know, leave the house. And we go, and we, I was checking Justin and Eric's room, and you opened up Justin's, like, bedside drawer, and it was like Scooby Snacks flew out. I was like, what <laughs> is this? And it was like candy, and, like, it was the funniest thing. So that would make sense that he'd say food, but... um. I think it just depended. Sarah would say not being able to watch the news or have a clock. That drove her absolutely crazy. Um, but you're not even allowed to have a clock? Like a watch? No, they changed that. Actually, was Brooke Williamson posted this picture not too long ago where she's wearing a watch on Top Chef from Charleston. And I commented, I was like, you had a freaking watch? And she like commented back. I was like, you didn't have watches? And I guess because of the Apple Watch thing. You know, now you can like communicate on a watch where before it was just like... Yeah, wait, we, could, we didn't know what time we were waking up. We had no idea what time it was ever. Oh, it's Kevin. Oh, it's I would go ex- absolutely, like, I would go yeah. insane. Like, that is, that, is, that yeah. is basically just torturing me. I know. Wait, um, so you would wake up in the middle of the night, not only having, you know, thinking about your baby and nursing or whatever you needed to do, but you also didn't know what time it was? So you're just completely no. going crazy so, in your head? Yeah, so I really was going crazy. And so sometimes I would wake up and it was like, okay, 2 a.m. And so I'm like, you know, I thought it was 5 or I thought it was 4.30. And so I was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to stay awake. I'll start making breakfast for people. And then it would be like I was just awake for five freaking hours because <laughs> – I mean, you had literally I, I no thought, way of even finding out. Like, if you woke up, it was one thirty in the morning. You think it's the dead of night. Maybe it's five a.m. Maybe it's four a.m. You had literally. It could be. You you literally have no idea. No, I mean, it's like I, being in a North Korean prison camp. I mean, that's Kevin. why when when I got to China, I became like. This is why I will say there should never be a season again where it's like vets are on there because that is the most unfair thing in the history of the world because just going from Kentucky to China, I was like, this is a different animal because I'm going into China two weeks after the fact. I'm like, Oh, I know how to play now. Let's go. I mean, and that was just two weeks after where you got a breather and you got to just like have some conversations with normal people and have a watch on your wrist for two weeks. And then you go to China and you're like, Oh, I can play this. You can just learn how to manipulate things and like figure out how to, to make it advantage for yourself and yeah. So I have like a $30 Timex watch on my wrist that I wear. It doesn't have any mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. It doesn't have any, it doesn't even have the date on there. It's just, it says the time. So your addition to the rules would be hand everyone that watch. I, you know what I think would be what I would want in addition to the rules to be maybe is like if we got, if, if they let us have like 10 recipes, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like we, what? Pre-approved, and, and like you, you can send it through yeah. for approval and then they can let you go. Well, we have a chef then, for example, that we're allowed to bring over a certain amount of ingredients in. And I think, it, and we can't use it every challenge. We only very rarely got to use it. But um, I think it'd be kind of cool if in those chef bins, you could have 10 recipes. So it's not like you get them all the time. You only get them when they allow you and they have to, they have to look at them just because there were some times where it was like the amount of time I wasted on, I forgot the ratio, for example, panna cotta during restaurant wars. I didn't spend, I don't know how I totally forgot the gelatin ratio to liquid. And so I had to like do test batches before I made my giant batch. Mm. And the amount of time I wasted was just stupid. And it's not really an advantage 
if I had, you know, it, it's not that big of an advantage. If all of us have like, these are the things I want to know, 10 of them. Um, because never in our normal life do we ever have all this memorized. We look up ratios to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like learning math in elementary school and you're like, yeah, but I'm going to have a calculator one day, <laughs> you know? I mean, but that, that's sort of what it's like is it would have been total game changer just to have a few recipes. Wow. Well, this, that's, it's a real just game changer. The fact that you had no, no concept of time. You're in Vegas. You, you don't, you're locked into the casino and you don't even know what time it is and you're not allowed to know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And y'all imagine what what it was like when we get to China and it's totally different. You're dropped off and you know what the time was from your time, but then you're 24 hours later. So you're like, I don't even know what day it is anymore. I mean, China was total. Luckily, I learned to let go of all that by them. But China so, was I'm, really a cluster. I, I'm just curious, just because I, I am a, uh, I'm a total like flight nerd. Did you? I mean, did you go to like? Did you fly either what Tallahassee, Atlanta, or Columbus, Atlanta, and then Atlanta, like Seoul, Seoul, Hong Kong? Yeah, that, I mean, exactly. that, that's, yeah. I did Atlanta to Seoul. Okay, that's what I thought. And, wow, um, that's a long. You, so you drove to Atlanta. Yeah. They sent you a car, I hope. No, I, they, we have an airport in Dothan, so it was Dothan okay. to Atlanta, Atlanta to Seoul, and then you take a ferry, and then the, from the ferry you take a car. So it's literally like planes, trains, automobiles, but with right. a ferry. So you went okay. Wow. On the, on the yeah. show, Kevin, remember last week, Mina? I think it was Mina. Um, the episode we did with her. How we always are amazed. Yeah, yeah. It was when you guys were waking up in the gar- for the garden episode, and like, oh yeah, it's it's bright out, and you guys are just waking, like, oh, like, oh, what what time is it? Like, yeah, but sh- yeah, Tom, chefs are like, you guys all sleep late. Like chefs, every chef I know no, is like is a vampire in Los Angeles. I mean, I don't sleep late ever. But you have ever, a, that's because you have a little one. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm also not your stereotypical chef like i have a lunch restaurant i'm working till like two or three during the day i get to bed as like a normal person so my life is pretty normal it's not like a chef's life but but when but when tom calico shows up and it's like bright as the sun outside and you guys are like whoa tom what are you doing this early in the morning it feels like it's like 11 well okay and so the other thing about that one specifically that they so usually when we had a challenge we have like you know, the schedule is a quick fire challenge and you have like a day break of interviews before the next one. Well, we were at the very, you know, this is the last one. So I guess we had to like get it over with. So the night before was the last challenge. So we had gotten home. I don't think I went to bed till four thirty that night. Um, I mean, I would guess it was, because sometimes <laughs> they would say like, it's two, it's three o'clock in the morning. They would tell us on the way home, just like what, what time is it? And sometimes we get to know. So I vividly remember like, when Tom woke, he woke me up first, actually. And he woke me up, and I was like, what is this? I mean, just totally unexpected. We were completely caught off guard. Yeah, so you guys had and a late night was, before that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, I believe it was like 9 a.m. It was not that late, because you can't get started. I mean, we had a quick fire that day. You can't get started that late on those. All right, well, Kelsey... Where can we find your work currently? Uh, where can we eat? And where can we see? Are you doing any events this uh, this f- spring or summer that we should know about? 
Um, well, y'all should all follow me on Instagram, Kelsey Barnard Clark, and that's where you can kind of follow me with all the things I'm doing. And um, I post videos pretty regularly and try to be as up to date with that. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping to be all over the place. I definitely got some stuff planned, and hopefully, y'all will see me far past just Top Chef. You ever do anything in Atlanta? Yes, I do. All right, because I'm here right now. It's where I'm, I was born and raised here, so I'm always. Oh, I, cool. And I'm here all the time. Like, so I would love to go to a Kelsey Barner Clark event in Atlanta, Georgia. If you ever give me advance notice, I can totally be here. I will. Well, I'm trying to get into the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. So if I get into that, I will let you know. What you oh, that would be fun. Yeah, Atlanta's I great know. right now for food, and would love to see you and your food here. Yeah, we'd have to meet. Yeah. And I'll send you all some Key Lime Crunch just. Oh, oh no. Man. God. Yeah. Kel- I mean, Sarah sent us T-shirts. Kelsey, you know, we need to have women in the top five every time. I think that's it. Because they're the sweetest. They just Southern actually women get too. us stuff. Southern hospitality, you know. No, I'm all I, – I, I, I have a bias on the show for Southern cuisine um, because that is um, – that is home for me. So the, the, the more of the food approximates like a really good meat and three, the happier I am. Oh, I know. I totally agree. Give me a meet um, and three all day long. Any day. All right, Kelsey. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I, you're one of my absolute favorite competitors, again, for all the aforementioned reasons. I, I just I like how you play the game. I like how you, the awareness, the high IQ game of Top Chef you're playing. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It's kind of you to say. All right, Kevin, why don't you take us out? The the all-Southern podcast episode of Packing Right, yes. absolutely. You know, for, for Kelsey Bernard clark in Dothan, Alabama, for, for Tom Haberstorm, Charlotte, North Carolina, this is Kevin Reynolds this week in Atlanta, Georgia, and this is Pack Your Knives. Awesome. Did I mispronounce my own name? You did. Kevin. I think I mispronounced my own name. <laughs>